Hello everyone and welcome to God Talk with Tara. This is Tara and it is Saturday even though it was supposed to be Friday and and I'm trying really hard to remember to stop making plans. Um, we're going to begin with prayer as we always begin with prayer and then we will dive into what the Lord has for us tonight. Father God, you called for me to come tonight and to be present, Lord, to show up. And so I am here showing up, awaiting your word to speak. And I trust, Father, that you will, and that you will carry your words to ears that need to hear what it is you have to say to us tonight. Father God, I pray that you would move in hearts and minds tonight, that you would bring healing, that you would bring deliverance, that you would bring a recognition of what these well-worn verses mean that you have brought to mind. Lord God, I am so grateful for all that you do in us and through us and with us. I pray, Lord, tonight that you would make me small, and that you would make Jesus large, Lord God, that you would magnify your plans, your purposes, your grace, and your love. And that in so doing, Father God, you would make something beautiful of the life that I have lived, of the lives of those who are listening, Lord God, that you would make us new. We thank you, Father, for all that you do, and we thank you for your promises, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's been a <laughs> it's been a struggly kind of week. Um, I don't know if any of you ever have those weeks where it seems like every time you turn around, you're fighting with God about something, or you're fighting with somebody else about something, and it's not necessarily that you're really angry because. You know, maybe you've gotten mature enough that you don't usually get angry. Instead, you get irritable and grumpy, or you just get to feeling really overwhelmed <laughs> and and really pushed. Um, and it's been that kind of week. It's been the kind of week where I have felt that there were too many things that were on the agenda and that most of the things that were there, I didn't put them there. Someone else did. And most of them were things that I'm certain that God had a hand in placing on that agenda. So I try not to be too grumpy when the Lord gives me too much to do because I've learned to trust him. I've learned to trust that he will assure that the things that need to be done will be done when he expects them to be done. And so when I fail to meet schedules that I have set for the things that God says for me to do. I trust him. Um, and this is one of those endeavors that is, is like that, um, of a history. <laughs> I have a history with online things of beginning strong and petering out after a little while. And one of the biggest impediments to continuing on with doing things like blogs or uh, podcasts or things like that, is that I, I commit to doing them on a set schedule that I have in mind, that I haven't, and hear that, that I have in mind, um, 
And I said that because the best practices in business will tell you that anytime that you are trying to begin something, whether it's a podcast or whether it's a small group or whether it's a blog or anything else, that consistency is key. So it's important for you to do things at the same time every day or every week um, so that people know when to expect what it is that you are doing. And we do this so that people can develop the habit of listening to us. So a daily devotion is something we develop as a habit of listening to God, right? Um, and God never fails to show up when we are seeking to hear him. But sometimes when it is us that are developing a habit, we miss our habits and we don't show up when others are wanting to listen to us. Uh, so this has been my problem over the years with, with blogging. Um, sometimes I'm very, very good at it. When I used to do the Pursuit of Happiness show a long time ago in another lifetime, um, very far before I started studying God when I was far more into politics, um, I was actually pretty consistent for almost probably almost three years. I did that show once a, once a week and was very consistent about the date and time. Um, and when I had first started writing for God on Facebook, I was very consistent doing it daily until he was done talking. Um, and I think this is where I run into problems when I'm, when I'm doing things for God, because what I've discovered is that business models don't work really well in the church. Um, secular models of anything don't work really well in the kingdom of God because God's economy is different and God's ways are not our ways and doing things the way that businesses do them or secular practices do them do not always accomplish the purposes that God has. And so while on the one hand, I desperately, desperately want to be consistent because the world keeps telling me I need to be consistent. The reality is, is that God very frequently turns my life on its head. And when I say frequently, I mean, oftentimes on a daily, weekly basis, um, he changes my plans. He leaves me in a position where... I am typically a flexy person. <laughs> this is what I, my friend calls me her, her stretchy friend for many reasons. Um, on the one hand, she calls me my stretchy friend because I tend to invite her to do things that she's not entirely comfortable with. And, um, and she loves God enough to go ahead and follow me out on limbs when I invite her to do these things. And, she grows because we all grow when we allow God to stretch us. Um, but she also calls me her stretchy friend because I am forever telling her that I am flexy when we are making plans for things. Um, because I learned a long time ago when I first started serving God to flex around the needs of the people that he sends me to. Um, and <laughs> this is a very windy way to get to where I'm going tonight because this is not where I was figuring I was starting, but it is, I think, part of where I need to be starting. Um, so God led me to a passage in Romans today that I hate. Um, <laughs> 
I shouldn't actually say that. There are no parts of scripture that I actually hate, but there are some parts of scripture that oftentimes get overused by Christians um, and they become sort of trite and cliche in the way that we handle them. Um, and one of those is a verse in Romans that says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, usually when Christians say this, they say that first bit. We know that for all though, uh, actually how it usually comes out is God works all things together for your good. Because the way that we typically speak these kinds of verses is as affirmations and promises that God makes to us. Um, and we are taught to personalize those things so that we know that God is speaking to us about these things. And so typically speaking in most Christian circles today, you will hear this when somebody is going through a struggle or when they're having a rough day um, or when they're wrestling with something or when they feel under attack or whatever it is that might have them distressed. Either someone will say to them, God works all things for your good. Or they will sell, say to themselves, God works all things for my good. Um, and it's one of those things that's true. But it's not true unless you give all those things to God. And I think that's where I am today is. <laughs> it, it's been it's been a week of remembering. Struggles I've had in my past. It's been a week of struggling with things in the present. Um, I am in a pastoral counseling class and it has been such a mixture of things. On the one hand, I have been deeply delighted with some of the, some of the texts because they've pointed out the fact that Christian counseling and mental health practices from a secular perspective are antithetical. They actually don't work together very well at all because from a mental health perspective, people are looking for disease and the answer to disease in our society currently is to medicate people. And there is no room for God in that. Um, there's no room for healing in that a lot of times. And as one of the books put it, you get, sucked into a black hole of, of mental health speak and people with very good intentions slap a label on you and hand you a set of pills and you are forever depressed, bipolar, anxiety, ridden, PTSD, ADHD, or whatever other label you've been given. Um, and this is one of those things that God works these things together for good. And he does. Uh, and then there's another resource in this class that makes me crazy because it comes from a very secular perspective and goes about slapping labels on people. And so I am running late this week because I was frustrated with that. I am running late because too many things got pushed onto my plate in the midst of all of that. And I've been struggling because there is a element in counseling classes and any kind of class like that, that requires you to be self-reflective. So it's kind of like poking at a scab <laughs> or, you know, taking a scalpel and, and 
you know, cutting open scars and, and things like that, where there are these things that you have in you that you think are healed over or that you think have been mm, dealt with and given over to God. And he brings them to the surface because he needs them for something. And this is really kind of where he brought me tonight. Um, so there's one of the books that we have in this class I love. It's actually a very small book, and it's more of a Bible study type book than it is an actual textbook. And it's called Masterpiece. Um, seeing yourself as God's work of art changes everything. And I didn't know what I was going to talk about tonight. I honestly wasn't going to. <laughs> wasn't going to talk tonight, but I decided to listen to music and, and let God speak if he chose to. And as he was doing, as I was listening to Casting Crowns, um, their song already there came up as I was sort of zoned out a little bit. And it talks about how God takes all of those pieces of your life, all of the things that you're in the middle of that you can't see the point of them. And he wraps them together into something beautiful. He has a plan. He is creating masterpiece out of all of that darkness, out of all of the pain, out of all of the uncertainty and the chaos and the craziness that goes on in our lives on a daily basis that we can't see past. He does, and he is moving in all of it to turn it into something glorious that he will work together for our good and for his glory. And as another friend of mine puts it, and for others gain. The Lord uses every piece of what we have. And so I went to, to sort of read the context of this verse, because that's one of our problems when we read stuff like this. Um, we read it out of context, and because we read it out of context, we get this touchy-feely, happy feeling from that verse. And that's really not the context of this verse, because what, what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about how, you know, this is the passage that starts out with, there's now, there, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, which is great. We're very grateful for that. Um, but it goes on to talk about setting our minds on the things of the spirit. And it goes on to talk about being in Christ and that the spirit is life because of righteousness. And it goes on to tell us that we are slaves to God, essentially, that we are led by the spirit of God and our sons of God, and that we should be bold because we didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Isn't that just the most beautiful thing? And he talks about being fellow heirs with Christ. And then we come to this passage. So I'm going to pick it up at 18. And we're going to kind of go all the way through um, down to 32, because I really want to come to this place. So at 18, it says, for I, we're in chapter eight, by the way. Oh, and pardon me. <laughs> for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So I'm going to stop us there. Because this is sort of where we really need to kind of pay attention. Now, slightly further down, it talks about who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, I want you to hear these things. So the beginning of where we picked up in 18, it says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So Paul makes this statement that we say to each other all the time, um, kind of flippantly, <laughs> not from a place of, oh, everything's going to be fine. But he makes this statement from a place of suffering. It says that he is in a time of present suffering. And he's speaking to the Romans who are beginning to see persecution coming. He is speaking from a place of um, trial and tribulation. He's speaking from a place where the church of God is beginning to feel the pain of the enemy coming against them. And so as he speaks to the church in Rome, where he's gone in chains, as he speaks to the church in Rome, um, and he writes this letter, actually, he's not in Rome at this time, so he's not actually in jail there, but he's speaking to the Romans, and he says that 
The Spirit will intercede for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, it hadn't occurred to me before now. I should have. I've read this book an awful lot. It really had not struck me and stuck in my head before now that this passage, which I often refer to when people are in deep distress and in deep, deep need of prayer, when I am in deep distress, when I am in need of prayer and I am so distressed that I have no words, which if you know me, you know that that is rare that I have no words. And yet there are those moments where there's just nothing to say, where everything has gone so horribly, terribly wrong, where everything is so overwhelmingly dark that there is nothing left to say. There are no words to speak. All you can do is weep and groan. This is the, the verse I go to in that moment with people and with myself, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we don't know what to pray for as we are. And he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That he can search our hearts and know what we need when we don't. And then it comes into, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So out of this place of deep despair. Out of this place that paints this picture of, of the depths of hopelessness but because we believe in Jesus Christ we have hope we hope for it we can't see it and Paul is saying be patient you have been given this hope in Jesus Christ be patient and the spirit will pray on your behalf with groans too deep for words hold on to the hope that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And it goes on to talk about being conformed to the image of the Son. And I want us to pay particular attention here to verse 32. Well, actually, I'm going to go down to 35, the part that I wasn't originally reading who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? We live in America. And for most of the last century, there has been no such thing in this country as persecution. And there is very little nakedness or famine in our nation. The last really great time of famine and, and poverty on a level that might raise to that, that kind of picture would have been during the Great Depression in the 30s, in the 1930s. That's been almost 100 years since on a widespread scale, we have really seen anything like famine or nakedness, or this kind of distress that he speaks of here. Our concept in this country of persecution is, please don't hear this wrong, because we actually need to see this and understand it as persecution, but it's nothing compared to what Paul was talking about in these days. It was the light 
persecution that, you know, they hadn't yet been persecuted to the point of, of shedding blood. He tells one of the groups, um, at this point in time, our idea of persecution is somebody says something mean to us and makes us feel bad. It's gotten more costly in recent years. Over the last couple of years, we've seen that actually move from just simply saying mean things to us to people getting shot. There have been several church shootings um, and but they're still so very isolated. We see those as a, as an oddity, not as a normal thing, not something that we need to be afraid of walking into our churches. Usually, um, we see people losing businesses for standing on principle that relate to religion. Um, and that is persecution, losing your livelihood. But in our country, we, we don't really look at it as, something that we should be praying for our persecutors and something we should rejoice over. We get angry and yell and scream about our rights. And please don't hear that wrong. I do believe that as Christians, it is important for us to stand up before the judges and the kings and the governors and the people who are secularly in charge of government and stand on the rights that we have as citizens of this nation to worship the Lord our God. But the fact is, we should also expect that with that will come persecution and consequence because scripture says so. But for a hundred years plus, actually for that, it's been closer to 200 years, we haven't seen that in our country. We haven't seen that kind of persecution that leads to stigma, that leads to losing everything you have, that leads to um, being carted off to jail and flogged and thrown into the lion's den. And we don't do that in our country. We don't see that in our country. We see that on TV halfway around the world over in the Middle East. And we think to ourselves, oh, those poor people. And then we go about our business and, and get mad because somebody calls us names. Or because we feel like we can't speak our mind and we can't pray out loud. But the reality is that's a self-imposed that's a self-imposed silence because we don't want to be looked at funny. And I say all that not to criticize us. We've been blessed to live in a nation that has benefited from being founded in Christian values, in Judeo-Christian worldview. We live in a nation that was founded on Christendom. And there are those that would dispute that, but the truth is the principles that underlie our, our concepts of individual liberty, the principles that underlie our concepts of the value of people are Judeo-Christian in nature. They come from the Bible and they are found nowhere else, not as a general blanket concept that applies to everyone. The idea of human rights as we understand them and know them are a Judeo-Christian value, and they are an anomaly in history. Um, 
So it's important for us to understand that blessing. I'm not criticizing us that we have lived in this place where we have been blessed with that. The Lord chooses where we are born. It is a gift that we are here. Um, and in some ways it's a curse. I hate to say that, but the reality is, is when the Israelites are flourishing and doing well is typically when they fall away from God. And that is true of us as well. Any people who does not need God will sooner or later try to drift into believing that they can do these things on their own. And that never goes well. So the reality is, is for most of us, we've not gone through these tribulations or distresses or persecutions or famines or nakedness or danger or sword. And so our concept of this passage is very self-helpish. Um, and, and we rah, rah, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he's right. Okay, so I don't want you to hear this wrong. He's right. None of these things can separate us from the love of God. But what you've got to get that Paul is not saying here is that the love of God does not prevent these things from happening in your life. Paul was not saying that the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord was going to keep these things from happening to the people. That the love of God was going to stop them from dying. That the love of God was going to stop the rulers around them from persecuting them and from putting them to death because of their belief in Jesus Christ. It was not that he was saying they were going to be taken out of the distress and the persecution and the nakedness and the danger or the sword. It was that they could rely on the love of God to deliver them the strength that they needed to go through that, to deliver them the sanctification that they needed to continue to walk as Christians in the world, to continue to follow after the teachings of Christ, to continue to reflect God's holiness into the world around them. That's what this passage is about, that God will use all of these things. So God would use the persecution and the famine and the nakedness and the danger he would use all of those things for the good of those who loved him and were called according to his purposes. Now, I want to say one last thing on this before I wrap us up for tonight. And that is coming back to verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now, Paul paints this picture in the middle of this. Now, he follows it up with, how will he not also give with him graciously all, give us all things? But I want you to notice that he paints this picture of the beloved son of God, that God loved Jesus Christ. 
I want you to get that in your brain. He was the firstborn. Jesus Christ was the beloved of God. God himself says so at Jesus's baptism. And again, at the transfiguration, God from heaven says, this is my beloved son. The beloved of God. Now we're also the beloved of God. But I want you to look here at what Paul reminds his readers God required of his beloved son. This is my body given for you. You are the body of Christ here in the world. That's another thing that Paul tells us. You are the body of Christ. You are the body of the beloved son of God. And he did not spare his own son. But gave him up for us all. You have been given. I don't think we realize that as Christians sometimes in this country. It's a privilege and we don't look at, we, we, we don't look on this yet. I don't think in our hearts as a privilege to be persecuted for Christ, to suffer with Christ so that we can be raised with Christ. This is the, the message of the disciples after in the book of Acts and all throughout the epistles, the message of the disciples was We praise God for being allowed to suffer with Christ so that we will be raised with Christ. We praise God that we are adopted as his sons and sent into the world to carry the message of hope to other people, to demonstrate it as we go through persecution, as we go through famine, as we go through nakedness and danger and sword, as we are arrested and thrown in jail by those in power as we are nailed to crosses, as we are beheaded, that we will be there standing in hope as a beacon of light to the rest of the world who is lost in delusions and dying in despair. As you struggle this week, and I have some friends that are deeply struggling. We have a weird hope. And it is a weird hope. Because it doesn't sound very hopeful to tell someone you will be persecuted. But what this tells us is that we find freedom in the love of God. That we don't have to hide that we don't have to pretend, that we don't have to stand on our own, and that we don't have to love our lives so much that we are afraid to be honest and true and real and to give God all that we are and all that we have and all that we have done and all that we have been and trust that he will take every piece of it and every part of it and use it for our good and for his glory. I pray tonight that he would 
continue to dig up all of the bits and pieces of me that I have forgotten are there and that I haven't given him yet. And I pray that he will do the same thing for you. I pray that every unforgivable sin you've committed, every deep hurt you have absorbed, every moment of anger or rage or lust or whatever it is, the thorn in your flesh that makes you squirm and leaves you all by yourself drowning in the despair of being beyond hope, beyond help. I pray that the Lord would drag all of it into the light, that he would invite you and that you would hear him and accept the invitation to give it to him, all of it, because this is what God says to you. Whatever it is, whether it is the horrible thing that you have done or whether it is the horrible thing that has been done to you, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, I want to look at that last bit and then we're done. The thing that you're holding inside of you that you don't want to let go of, that you want to have as a secret, that you don't believe anybody would ever understand, that you don't think God can use, that you need to hold on to that part. I want you to understand that Paul never speaks of the body of Christ as individuals. It is not that all of the things in your life will work together for your good. All of the things in all of our lives work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for all of the body of Christ. Your hurt and your pain is what God will use for someone else's good. Your healing, your deliverance, your hope, your freedom is what God will use for someone else's deliverance, for someone else's good, for someone else's gain. You have to be willing to let him have it. It's part of how he builds the body of Christ. And it's part of how he binds us to one another in love and in grace and in encouragement in a world that desperately wants to tear you apart. So I invite you tonight, whatever it is you're holding, turn it over and watch what he does with it. Father God, thank you for your promises. Thank you, Lord God, that you work all things together for good, that in your sovereignty, Lord God, that all of the things that make no sense to us and that are dark and painful, and broken, that you take them, Lord God, and you make beauty from them, that you take them, Father, and you have a purpose for them, that no matter how heinous things have been in our lives, Lord, whether it is things that have happened to us or to those we love or whether it is things that we have done, Father God, you are able in your sovereignty to take all of it, Father, 
and use it for the good of those who love you. And for those who walk according to your purposes, Father God, please take all that we are and let us keep our eyes fixed on you. We thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and the Spirit who calls us, Lord, and binds us to you. Amen. Be blessed and be a blessing.